If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I just remember, like, praying for my period to start. Like, just be like, God, please either give me big boobs or my period by the end of the year. Like, I need to be a woman now. Like, <laughs> and now you're like, please stop. I'm, yeah, I'm just gonna kind of turn it off. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then when your back starts hurting, you're like, why do I have these boobs? Yeah. 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 No, we're not. I mean. You didn't have that prayer, Ben? <laughs> no, uh, I did. I did cry every time I masturbated because I felt like I was sinning against God. I felt so guilty. It was so awful. And now I masturbate, okay. and tears of a different sort come <laughs> come come down. So. is a mess come on in welcome to fly on the wall and podcast the show where we talk about relationships talk a little bit about parenting talk a little bit about sex and where we record it all for the world to see not the six yet we are very very happy to be here today i'm your neighborhood friendly black girl amber and i'm ben and today we have author speaker women's intimacy coach you've seen you've heard you've heard her on tedx you've seen her on savage you've heard her You've, well, both of those are you've. <laughs> you done? I'm done. You've heard you've you've seen her on TEDx. You've heard her on Savage Lovecast. Please welcome Rena Martin. Hello. I love your hair. Oh my gosh, thank you. Is I love yours. Start. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's you. Aww. Anyway. Uh, we're so excited to have you on today, and um, we're going to talk a lot about your book. Uh, but we would love to talk first a little bit about your background as a former a former DA in working in sex crimes for uh, like fourteen years. Yes, yes. I, I read I read the back of the book too. <laughs> uh, please tell us how we get get all the way from working in sex crimes to teaching women how to be shameless. Yeah. So uh, 14 years as a prosecutor with the L.A. County DA's office, and that was my dream job. I wasn't like, I'm going to go to law school to be a lawyer. I wanted to prosecute sex crimes, and I was fortunate enough to land my dream job and my dream position pretty early on into uh, my career at the DA's office. Prosecuted sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic violence cases for about a decade, and then I hit my burnout. Um, at that time, juries were really doing weird things when it came to sex cases, really counterintuitive things. And 
you see it often because jurors don't want to believe that this is the world that we live in, that every time you send your kid to school or leave your child with a family member or a nanny or a coach, right, that there's a risk that they're going to be abused. In cases where this was a stranger and say we had a DNA cold hit, juries love to convict in those cases because it reinforces this idea that there's this boogeyman out there, right? Mm -hmm. But when, when the perpetrator and the victim are known to one another, Juries will do mental gymnastics to avoid convicting. Wow. And I saw that happen over and over and over again. I was working my butt off, right? Forming relationships with these survivors, with these families. And you get to a point where you say, okay, I can't operate in a broken system anymore. Mm-hmm. So I stepped away from prosecuting those kinds of cases and just started prosecuting other kinds of cases within the DA's office because there are many types of crime. And then I I lost my love for it. It just became a job instead of a calling. Um, And simultaneously, I was going through stuff in my personal life. I was was married at the time in a very, you know, white picket fence, monogamous, vanilla, very standard, you know, marriage, the kind of marriage that we're told we are supposed to want. And I felt a tremendous amount of shame because I, I wasn't happy. It's like, well, I have the thing I'm supposed to want, right? And yet I feel like I need more. So I went through therapy. And I was like, all right, you got to fix me because, you know, I need to be grateful for this great life I have. And she convinced me there was nothing to fix, that my desire for something unconventional wasn't this problem to be solved. And so through that work, and that was a lot of really hard work and a lot of reading books and a lot of listening to podcasts and doing all this work myself, I dropped a bomb in my in my personal life and started living shamelessly, right? And then I realized I wanted to help other women do the same thing. So everything came to a head when the pandemic hit and I was like, I'm going to go get a coaching certification and see if if I like working with folks one-on-one. And here we are today. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I, I left behind my much more prestigious career as a prosecutor to talk about sex all day now in a fun way, though, in instead, a fun of way. The, instead of the painful way. Yes. Yeah. What do you what was I guess, you know, not that this is about them, but what was like your family's response when you're like, I'm not working for the D.A. anymore. I'm going to teach women how to love having sex. Like, <laughs> what, what was that like at the Thanksgiving dinner table? Oh, my gosh. So I actually waited until I would put in my resignation before telling my parents mm. because, you know, mm. parents worry. That's that's yeah. their yeah, job. That's your, yeah. And uh, my dad, I had to give him a lot of assurances. Right. Hey, I'm still a lawyer. That's not being taken from me. There's actually a policy at the DA's office where if you come back within, you know, two years, you can get your your position back. Oh, I bet they loved that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like when we left yeah. teaching, our parents were like, like well, but you always have your degree. We have right. a ma- I, we both have masters in teaching. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and you're like, yeah, you know, and I'm like I'm never going back to teaching. <laughs> I have nightmares yeah. about I, it. Yes. Like, about go back to you, the courtroom about um, teaching. But. Just getting into your book a little bit. But you write about some of those nightmares. And it it's I love this this book the sex you want everyone should go buy it um but you write about these instances working for the da and you write a little bit about like personal like trauma that you experienced sexual trauma as a kid but like the thing that was most traumatic to you had nothing to do with that right and i it sort of um addressed how i think of trauma as being like trauma it can also be so quiet 
and so like uh not explosive it's just like little things and i've i remember like teaching in like chicago winters waking up and just like hoping i would get into a car accident you know <laughs> and like driving to work where i've had personal i have family members who struggle with drug addiction like really terrible explosive like cops getting called i'm like that's i'm fine with that it was just going and teaching the next generation was more traumatic for me yeah and i really connected uh with um the personal stories because this book that you write is very much based in like narrative and many many of much of this book feels like a moth short story you know what i mean something you hear on npr um and i was curious like the structure of that if that was an intentionality uh, if you talk a little bit about the the structure of of the book and the personality personalness that you brings bring sure I mean, I, I believe in leading by example. So you've read the book. I spare no detail in that. <laughs> I mean, a little book literally The forward with the sex worker. I was like, oh, we're jumping right in. Baby. Yeah. I mean, the first lines of the book are, I'm about to pay for sex. And if yes. you, you know, I'm admitting to a crime I'm about to commit because yeah. that is technically illegal. And so you think of, okay, how did she go from being a prosecutor to, to this? But, but on a bigger scale i have found in my own journey and and the journey that i've walked women through you know as a coach and my clients and and even as a sex crimes prosecutor working with survivors that we tend to feel less alone when we hear from people like us rather than hearing from the folks with phds after their name mm-hmm. who are talking down to us from an ivory tower right mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck those people. Well, and I mean, those people, they, they, there's a place. And, yeah. and it's beautiful that I can a say. Library. Yeah, <laughs> a, a library. Yeah, a library. A dark library. <laughs> well, that, you know, there's so many books to read now. And that's cool. Like, but, yeah. but it's like, okay, where do I start? Do I have to read every book about sex, right? And I wanted to write the book that I would have needed. And I wanted to hear from people like me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that, that was the decision I made. Um, because I thought it would be the most helpful mm-hmm. in terms of knowing that you're not alone and I'm not going to create these fictitious avatars of people. Yeah. I'm actually going to anonymize only to the extent I have to um, these stories from real women who I've worked with and then and then my own stories too, which are not anonymized. But um, this is supposed to read like a conversation between friends mm-hmm. and not that you're being lectured to by some sort of expert in this because I I'm an expert in in fucking up and learning from my <laughs> mistakes right and, and stumbling and then coming up with these lessons on the other end and so I offer these not as proclamations or directives but hey I wasted so much time trying to figure this out on my own and I'm going to help you I'm going to offer you a shortcut here so that so that it doesn't take as long for you to get to get to where you want to be so Ben and I have always felt that we've been like big risk takers. Like we moved to L.A. like a year and a half ago and just left our home in Chicago on this like, you know, Amber wants to be a comedian and a star. Like and I'm going to be her cheerleader and support. And her. I don't want to teach anymore. And I don't want to teach anymore. Yeah. So I watch the baby and, and, and we can do our podcast together still. And so we've always been um, sort of like misfits and oddballs and dream seekers and things like that. So. I, I I remember when we first started reading your book and I've always been a sexual person, but it's 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 interesting because you're like, what do I do with all this sexuality? Like, like what now? And truly your book 
helped me to say like, no, this is a real thing. Like other other women feel this way. I don't feel alone. So literally this past week, we just went to our first like kink BDSM social uh, where people just talked about like their like you just talked with strangers about their fantasies and your fantasies and some people being like we should meet after this and or like you're a couple we're a couple we should connect and things like that and I feel like I just would have felt so much shame even being interested in something like that before I read like your vulnerable you know like you you went first like you jumped in the pool first so I was like well if Rena jumped in the pool we should jump in the pool too and it it's like but what happens like why, why do we do that to each other because we like we all feel that way but we all want to jump in the pool yeah well our brains hate change that, <laughs> yeah. that's really it our brains hate change and what I love about this is you weren't like okay we're curious about kink so let's just go straight from we've never done anything not to say that you haven't done anything mm-hmm. but but let's just go straight from this is just something we do privately to, all right, now we're going to go to a sex dungeon surrounded by a bunch of strangers. Yes. You took the babyest step, which right. admittedly still very much outside your yeah. comfort zone. But you're like, we're going to sit in a room where everyone's clothed. This is a structured event. We're going to sit across from strangers and have just polite, respectful, and consensual conversations about the topic without actually doing the thing that we're yes. talking about. And it would be someone, for those of you who have never been to one of these socials, I mean, it would be somebody dressed like Ben who is mm-hmm. sitting there telling you about like, I love being tied up, I love being spat on, I love being, I was like, like you would just never assume that. Like, I, I think going into this party, I was like, everybody's gonna be in leather and looking kind of sexy, even just at the social. Right. And it was very like, you know, vanilla dressed people talking about this like super hot, sexy thing. And it it was liberating too. And it was funny because we were all kind of like awkward teenagers at first. We're all like, should I start the conversation or you? But once you warm up and, and find your people in your words, it really isn't that scary. No. And when people are talking about it, like it's any other topic of conversation. Right. I mean, that's my goal, right? Is that we can talk about sex like we talk about food. I, I use a lot of food analogies and in yes. interviews in my book when I educate because food is something we we all understand. We don't have a hard time talking about it and it brings us pleasure. And um, and yeah, I would love to live in a world where we can have conversations about sex and talk about this in the same way that we talk about other things that bring us pleasure in life. And you go into this munch and that's what we call mm-hmm. kinky events yeah, where everyone's closed. We're learning right? the lingo. Learning now. the lingo. Yes. You going to this munch is a perfect example of, of just normalizing these conversations and being around people who are like, yeah, I'm going to talk about the fact that I like being tied up. I went to one of these munches and I was across from a woman who she seems so sweet. And she's like, yeah, my thing is I like to stomp on men's balls. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, and it was straight so, face, matter no of fact, games, didn't stutter. Like, yeah. that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And they love it. No shame there. You do reference at one point that you and your partner like have like sex conversations just out in public, like at dinner tables. Yeah. Do you ever get like weird looks where you're like talking? You're like, wait, when you bring, or are you just so like, oh yeah, this is normal. Like, has it been so normalized for you that you're like, oh yeah, like be be okay with it or get the fuck on or right. eavesdropping? I mean, I'm not trying to be rude, right? Like you don't want to push your kinks on people, but I apologize to everybody out there who's who knows way more about my sex life that you didn't consent to hearing. Um, uh, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers. Yeah, because you're just having a conversation in the back or like even the, because I think 
I think it is like at a dinner table. You're like, I'm sorry if I'm the one having, like, you don't have to do that, but I'm the one doing that. Yeah, I think it's, and, like, Ben likes that because he hates small talk. Uh-huh. He's like, yeah, let's jump right in. Yeah, well, tell or, me your fantasy. Or I'll be talking, like, I like talking when we're out to eat, and I forget sometimes that people want to talk about their taxes, and I yeah. want to talk about, I don't know, that I scored 100% on the voyeurism BDSM test, Ooh. which, by the way, you ref. I, I want to talk about that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but- Ooh. Before we jump into the segments, I do want to ask you. So we we're, we took the baby step of going to the munch. We have officially, we made our sex list for 2024, per your book uh, direction. Yeah, yes. And we have officially signed up for our first sex party. So yes. we're going to play together. We might play with some people separately. What should we expect? Or we might just are, watch. I don't know. <laughs> or, we might just, or we might be scared little babies and just hide in a corner. What should we expect going into our first play party? Okay. Great question. And congratulations. I'm, I'm, like, I'm excited, but I'm, I'm very scared. Yeah. Like, well, what should we wear? And anything you got for us. Okay. So what should we wear? That's a great question. Um, and there's different ways to do this. What I normally do is I layer, Right. I will wear something that has maybe buttons on it so that as I'm starting to get more comfortable, I can start to unbutton a little bit and then I've got some lingerie under that. And then maybe you leave it open and you can kind of peek the lingerie and then eventually the lingerie comes off and or the, the, the dress or whatever comes off. And then maybe eventually the lingerie comes off too. Um, that's my approach. Some people who've been going to parties for a while go from like fully clothed and then take it all off, put it in a locker and they're walking around naked or almost naked so there's a range there's, oh yeah. yeah okay there is a range so we will just see people walking around like butt naked there perhaps gotcha. because there isn't one standard play party either but what i can gotcha. guarantee you is regardless of what kind of party you go to because some are going to be more kind of artistically focused there's one i like to go to that is like the burning man of play parties right um some are going to be more swapping focused where couples are more swapping with one another um some are going to be more kink focused, right? And and all of those are going to have levels of of undress that seem to be the norm there. But know that there are going to be other people at this party. This I can guarantee you, who are also new to this. Mm-hmm. And and any responsible play party is definitely going to have rules that stress consent, safety, especially safety for for the women because we tend to be the most vulnerable in these kinds of spaces um no photography i mean these are pretty standard for any place you go um and just giving you opportunities to ease your way in i've been to several different parties where there are games that they do like these icebreakers because because what you're describing right now like oh my gosh what are we doing here yes that is the common concern and that is what a responsible party organizer is going to work to address to get you at ease. You you two are gonna be great. But the first one I ever went to, I went with my partner. Mm-hmm. And we went in like, okay, we're just gonna be wallflowers. That was that was, yeah, that was our yeah, intention. Yeah, that's, we're already talking about that. I'm like, I was like, we might just like stand around and watch, yeah. you know. Well, fast forward like an hour later and I'm like, okay, let's get naked and fuck on the huge mattress while everyone watches us. And I don't even know where that came from. Like, who is this guy? Yeah. And that was totally my idea. And he's like, okay, we're doing this. And uh, and I talk about that in, in the book, yeah. um, which ended up being, it was on my list of things. Oh my gosh, after my marriage is over, I, w- I want to go to a sex party. And the first one I went to was absolutely terrible. And so, and so I talk about that. Um, they, they run the gamut. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can't wait to hear about the experience yes. you two have. <laughs> we will follow up with y'all and things like that. Uh, this is going to be good. You, any, you have any more questions about the sex party? Uh, no. You want to jump no. right in? <laughs> That's a hard yes. But we'll probably get there. <laughs> yeah. The first segment of our show is called Hashtag Influenced. It's time for the hashtag. Hashtag Influenced. This is the segment of our show where we talk about internet trends and viral things. So we really want today with our guests to talk a little bit about navigating the pleasure community on social media. Because there's probably some people we should avoid or some types of people we should avoid and some people we should gravitate towards like Dan Savage, Savage Lovecast, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's um, there's a lot of misinformation being spread amongst the sexual wellness community. Um, Ooh, the sexual wellness community. I'm a yeah. yogi, so I've been a part of the wellness community. Yeah. But the sexual wellness community, I'm, I'm new, so put, put me on game. Well, and, and let me just preface by saying that I there are a lot of more spiritually based sex coaches out there. Uh, that is the majority from what I've seen, and it's, you know, harness your your yoni power like those types of things mm -hmm. right you hear me um it's the lawyer in me i i'm like the facts research and evidence-based yeah. person mm -hmm. and and so that's where i come from what what folks like dr jen gunter for example mm -hmm. she's yep. oh my gosh adore that woman she wrote the vagina bible uh she's written you know a ton of stuff and she takes pride in really pointing out some of the charlatans in the sex world because there's big money to be made and like okay well why don't you steam your vagina with this and it's going to help you know all these pseudoscientific types of things that can be really really harmful and preying on this idea that there's something wrong with us but then i see you know even well-intentioned folks who are like hey we want to help you be multi-orgasmic right we want and so they're taking something which is female pleasure and yes we we should all be entitled to have our orgasms, right? But inadvertently shaming folks who either struggle to reach orgasm to begin with or like, I I kind of just like to have one and then I'm too sensitive and then I'm good, right? And so creating these gold standards, mm -hmm. like, okay, well, if you're not multi-orgasmic, mm -hmm. then you're not doing it that's right. That's like an immediate red flag. Like oh, anything yeah. Anything like that's like, this is how you do it, yeah. And, and another one I hear is like, you know, if... He, say that he, she, or they isn't making you wet, then there's something wrong. And I'm like, that is body shaming at its finest right there because, wow. oh yeah, there's this idea like, well, you know, if you're not wet, girl, and we have this, this notion of arousal non-concordance, which means that sometimes we get lubricated when we're not turned on and sometimes we're super turned on and we don't get lubricated. And it's only about 15% of the time where our brains and our bodies are actually in sync. And so we see we see this play out in a couple ways. Like I've worked with sexual assault survivors who are like, but I lubricated when it happened. Does that mean I liked it? No, it means that your body was trying to protect you in a situation where you could have gotten more injured and that's how your body responded. Or situations wow. where it's like, I'm totally turned on and why isn't my body cooperating? So we we can shame ourselves so much and these types of things that we throw around like, you know, oh, if he's not making you wet or oh, become multi-orgasmic is really shaming anyone whose body doesn't work a certain kind of way. 
Yeah. And so those are the kinds of insidious messages that I see among amidst this the sexual wellness community that really piss me off. <laughs> yeah. I you even saying that, of course I'm not in the sexual wellness community, but I still I think the there is um there is a high uh propensity to incite shame when it's just two girlfriends talking and so you're you're already making me think about the ways that I might have done that to a friend of mine like I I know for sure like if I can be vulnerable for a second that I have told a friend like you don't squirt like what do you mean they're like well no I don't squirt and I'm like girl I squirt every time like what do you mean you don't squirt and so that if you're the the non-squirter because for years I didn't squirt and then one day I squirted and now I only squirt and so in my mind, I'm like, no, one day it's going to happen to you. And then mm. henceforth, you're going to be a squirter just like me, girl. And that's shaming someone. Ooh, it is. And and it's interesting because we're seeing a lot more squirting in porn. I mean, we're talking about it, which a decade ago, yeah. no one was talking about this. And so I see situations where women are like, my boyfriend thinks that because he can't make me squirt, right? Right. That it's I'm like not the badge into of it. Honor. Yeah, it's like right. right there. And then I I know people who can't control their squirting, and they're like, I wish I could turn this off because it's kind of a yeah. Pain in the it ass. looks like you peed the bed, <laughs> like, or it's like yeah. we're getting it on in the backseat of the car, and it's like there's you know a, thunder, a <laughs> rainstorm gotta, happening inside. I'm gonna bring my dog in the backseat of the car tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. But yeah, there's so many practical things that come along with this, and for folks who who do squirt and and have no control over when they do it, it's not a novelty to them. This is just the way their body is built. Yeah. And then for other people who are like, this is some gold standard and I need to unlock this secret code to be able to do it. Some people just, you'll never do it. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. That's totally okay. And I I love though that you recognize that. And mm-hmm. Oh, I've for sure done that. Like without meaning to shame, but it's like, I think we think about shame as this big thing. Like, I'm gay and my mom doesn't like it. I quit my job and I've, I'm have i a disgrace to the family. But it's like these little shameful things that your book taught me, like those little external messages that we get that make us feel shame. Like something like me just talking about squirting at a brunch and I'm just like, I'm just going to keep drinking my bubbly. And I'm sure if a friend, I, I, maybe a friend would or wouldn't tell me if I made them feel that way. But if you did feel slightly bad, like I did just shame you. Hmm. Um, and... Like it's like micro shaming, kind of like micro shaming. Micro yes, it's micro shaming. So it's like, I, I, your book was refreshing for me because it was like it's it's teaching me the ways that I've been shamed and potentially the ways that I've been shaming other women too. And we don't often know, and they don't even they probably don't even know that they're being shamed. But these are these external messages that we start to absorb, right? That right. are being compounded by what we're seeing in porn, by what we're hearing talked about amongst our girlfriends over the bubbly at brunch. And um, just being mindful of this kind of thing, because there's body, inherent body shaming going on all the time that we don't even think about as it's right. happening. But I think the tide is starting to turn. At least I hope it is. It is. Well, something that surprised me, you wrote a little bit about um, a, one of your clients who uh, whose partner was very upset that they wanted to use a vibrator, like a toy, right? Um, and then you also write other clients where they reached out and the, their partner was like, yes, let's use a toy. Um, yeah, the toy conversation. The toy conversation. And there's like so much shaming um, with toys as if like 
as if the man, because this book is written for women. It is written for women. And, um, I, I found it like, I think every man should also read it. <laughs> like you shouldn't read this. You're a man, read this book. Uh, but I think it was so disturbing for, for like to realize like that is something like, I remember I was, we were talking to a friend and the friend was like, yeah, he doesn't like toys in the bedroom yeah like my husband's not comfortable with me using toys but i use them when he's away or stuff like that yeah can you can you like why why are dudes like that (laughs) yeah i'm not that dude because i'm cool i'm a feminist just to clarify (laughs) (laughs) um so actually the 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 client who who had the partner who shamed her for that that person was me and i was married to the person who shamed me for um for for several years no no it's all good but i'm like no No, no, that was that was was you okay that was me yeah no so yeah because he gets up like angry that was no or is that so there, there's another client stories. I talk about where she was shaming herself and faking a lot of orgasms because yes. she had just never orgasmed with a partner and she would use a toy on her own and that's the kind of stimulation yes. she needed. And I'm in the same camp. I need motorized support in the bedroom. That's just the way it works. And um, Motorized support. That's yeah. great. <laughs> I love it. And, yeah. you know, but it's like the frog in boiling water kind of thing because okay. If I had started dating my ex-husband and the first time we, you know, got down to business, he was like, no toys. I would have been like, red flag, we're done. Right. But it was a gradual thing where it's like Mm -hmm. the toy was there, the toy was there. And then one night he was like, what if we leave the toy out this time? I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. And then it just was never brought up. Yeah. Yeah. And I never said anything. And so I was just pleasing myself on my own like when he would be gone and and you just don't think about it because by that point you're so far in it's like we were living together we weren't engaged yet but you know we got we got trips planned we got this and that and I didn't have the vocabulary to talk about this at the time and to advocate for my pleasure um but to your to your question why are men out there so threatened by these things The robots are taking over. The robots are taking over. I mean, one reason can be I don't want to be replaced by the toy. Yep. The replacement fear. That's so crazy. Oh, my God. I know. I don't want to be replaced. Um, That's a thing. It's also, you know, well, my body's supposed to be enough Mm, because they're watching porn and in porn, you know, a few thrusts of the penis and we're done. I see vibrators in porn, though. Me too. I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess that's why I'm confused. Yeah, I don't know. Should every woman get a vibrator? Like, is that like, I feel like there are gold standards, (laughs) but every, because I met, I was talking to someone, a woman who's like, I don't have, and I was like, girl, even I have a vibrator. Like, even I have a dildo. Like, what is wrong with you? And I shamed this person. But I feel like it was a good shaming. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like, let me incur, like, everyone should get one. Yeah, because you're saying, I'm a man and I have one. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's no shame in you being the, the gender who is, you know, these are made for and for you to embrace that too. And some people are like, I don't need one. Like I got my hand, I got my detachable shower head, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I would encourage folks, there's so many sex toys now that are going to give you games. I know it's like a variety of sensations you can have. It's like saying, you know, well, I like, I like the burgers at this restaurant. So why would I try burgers anywhere else? Yeah. Well, cause all the burgers are going to be a little bit different and that's, that's what makes makes life good right that's how it's I feel variety. About anime when people are like i don't watch anime i'm like there's romance anime there's porn anime there's fantasy anime there's all these different kinds of anime there's you know kids anime or you know so just like you can't 
disregard the whole genre and the whole yeah. sex toys. If you are looking, if you're someone out there who's looking to start, we're going to plug your book a million times. If you're looking to start, like if you're like, I have the energy, I'm a little afraid I don't know where to start. Like I, I cannot stress enough like how you just give like concrete action steps on what to do just like even the one of my favorite things was like the 50 things list of just uh, you know like write down the things you do love about your body because we can be sort of going back to the social media thing like we have all the images in front of us of like what the perfect bodies look like so all day just chemically we're thinking about like what we don't like and what we should be working on and like having a list where you sit and you're like no if I had to like write 50 things I love about myself like what would go on this list it's just like this is what I can do with that energy yeah for sure 50 things that you love or admire about yourself because we have this lens that we're viewing ourselves to see what we can fix right right because so many industries capitalize yes. off of us trying to fix ourselves all the time. But what if instead you actually did exercises where your job is to look for the good, mm. right? And these are hard to do. I'm not gonna lie and be like, yeah, just sit down and write 50 things you like about yourself. It's a hard exercise. But if we start to get granular, like, hey, you know, I make a mean chocolate chip cookie, or I'm the person who people call when they're having a bad day, or I really like, you know, the the dimple that I get on my right cheek when I smile. You know, you you start to gain momentum. And then once you get to maybe 10 or 15 or 20, you're like, huh, I'm pretty great, actually. And then <laughs> yeah. you keep going. But so few of us like 100 things are like, okay, maybe uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, keep going, please. But um, but yeah, it's it's retraining your brain to look at, you know, the half cup instead of half empty essentially um and and no one's telling us to do that and as women you know we're told to be modest too yeah so it's like if I told you to write 50 things down you don't like about yourself oh sure like let's have a competition here I bet I can do 500 right but we're like no you don't brag about yourself we're told not to do that and I'm here to call bullshit on all that and the right. whole modesty myth and everything but this exercise can be challenging, especially for women, because we are told not to do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like we need to be humbled in some way all the time. Um, oh, that's well, exciting. Maybe you. What? Just kidding. Just yeah. Kidding. Ma maybe I need to be humbled. <laughs> maybe just you. Anyway, we're going to get into our next segment. <laughs> um, the next segment of our show is called Imperfect Parent. So uh, we have a little one, um, and uh, she'll be two in April, and then you are child-free. So obviously our sex conversation is right around the corner with her, but how can we as parents, you know, of kids of all ages, how do we start, especially those of us who are raising little girls, how do we start these conversations of loving your body, embracing your sexuality because I I remember as a young child like seeing my brother get those conversations about like you know when you start feeling the feels make sure you use your condom this is how you masturbate whatever and there was no kind of education like that for the girls except for like abstain or you're a hoe like if you sit on a man's lap your period will start like but your parents like talk weird to your myths brother huh? about masturbation my parents never talked to me about masturbation except to not do it I grew up in very conservative mm. Christian so your brother was encouraged to masturbate? Yeah, I mean, because, like, my family... That's, that feels knew. progressive. Yeah, well, me. 
or not so much encouraged. It's it was very like I know you're doing this, so this is how you clean up. Or I know you do like it was. At oh, least, okay. It yeah. was, it was like an like, acknowledgement. It's cool that you're doing this. Just <laughs> if I just my like mother, do your own. Sheets. Of course, my mother was like, if I keep finding these crunchy socks everywhere, like I'm uh-huh. gonna so uh-huh. just like do it, do it this way. Uh-huh. And especially, obviously, when he became a teenager, there were very like you know make sure you're using the condom, make sure you're whatever. And then for daddy's told, little yeah. girl, it's like, yeah. where are you going? You know what I'm saying? And I was, I was my, I'm older than my brother. I'm two years older than him. So like, how do we bring some yeah. equity to the conversation? Because we are raising a little girl. Yeah. Right. And I mean, for, for starters, abstinence only sex education does not work. Right. Yeah. Uh, pregnancy rates in, in states and counties that, that don't give comprehensive sex ed and, and focus only on abstinence. Uh, are no lower than they are in places where there is comprehensive sex ed. So that's one thing. It doesn't have the desired effect. Um, and if you're shaming your children and making sex the, and self-pleasure this taboo thing, they're not going to come to you and talk about it. They're not going to ask you how to do it safely, right? Um, I do see a double standard when it comes to the genders and, and how we're raising the little boys and the little girls. Uh, my brothers got high-fived for certain things and I was like not allowed to have friends over with the door open once my parents found out I had given a blowjob. So, yeah. you know, and so we have that. But really, you know, we as little babies, we came into this world very curious about our bodies and loving our bodies. And so naturally, we're going to touch certain parts of our bodies um, without even knowing, like, this is sexual, this is not. So when you see that starting to happen, I think that's that's a time for a conversation, which is this is a part of your body that if you're going to touch it, it's done, you know, in private. This is just how we do it. It's the polite thing to do. And also, no one else is allowed to touch that part of the body. And I'm definitely simplifying a much more nuanced conversation here. Um I'll give I'll give props to to Dan Savage who who tells parents of teenagers like give your child if especially if you have a child who has a vulva right give your child an Amazon gift card and let them pick out a toy for themselves online yeah. so that they're not stealing your Hitachi or you know what <laughs> so that they're not stealing your stuff. God, um, we have to put away our sex toys because our child just like curious. Oh, yeah, just they're just pick so it up like it's a like it's we're a like toy. Well, yeah oh, like yeah. yeah. No, we, I'm yes. like, did you clean that? We gotta clean that. No. Yeah, because- We need like a locking tool chest or yeah, something. Uh, yes, we do. Yeah, we do because need a tool it's chest. Like, <laughs> it can't be by the bed charging. Because she's like, what's yeah. the difference between my, my toy apple and this rose? And I'm just like, get, 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 get out of my room. But right. they are very, you're, like you said, they're love, very curious. I love that idea. Yeah, get Amazon gift card. There you go. Yeah. Wow, I never thought about that. Like, obviously, I've seen online parents are getting a, a lot more comfortable with like- if your daughter got her period or if the if the child with a vulva got a period, like, let's celebrate this instead of shaming them or it's or you, I'm, I'm not sure if this was the rhetoric, rhetoric when you were younger. But there was almost a lot of like if you had your period, it meant you were like messing around early, like you were you were being too sexual too soon. That that's why it came early or Ooh. something like that. There was a lot of that language, not so much for my parents, but I remember that being like the sentiment in like the church community and things like that. It's like, well, she got her period 10 because she's been doing some naughty stuff. And you're like, I'm not, I'm just not sure that that's how she's. Yeah. This Jezebel, like her period came, which means she's a woman earlier, which means, you know, what's going to happen. She's going to be going out and trying to have sex. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mine came 
a bit later than most of my friends, which to me was like, I'm not, you know, I'm still a girl and I'm yes. not a woman yet. I'm broken. Yes. Right. We will find any way to shame ourselves. Yeah, late, oh, yes. early, no matter. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, you're a squirter. You're not a squirter. Your boobs yeah, are too big. Boobs, they're too small. Yeah. I mean, all the things. Right. I just remember like praying for my period to start. Like, just be like, God, please either give me big boobs or if my period by the end of the year. Like, <laughs> I need to be a woman now. Like, and now you're like, please stop. Yeah, I'm just gonna kind of turn it off. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then when your back starts hurt, you're like, why do I have these boobs? Yeah. 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 No, we're not. I mean, you didn't have that prayer, Ben. <laughs> no, uh, I did. I did cry every time I masturbated because I felt like I was sinning against God. I felt so guilty. It was so awful. And now I masturbate. Okay. And tears of a different sort come, <laughs> come, come, come down. So. Jeez. Yeah. Why? And there, I'll just say that. there are so many books out there now for parents that mm -hmm. are that are geared toward different yeah. age demographics. Um, obviously this this is not my area of focus in terms of what's the right thing to say to a three-year-old versus a 10-year-old. So I don't wanna misinform any of the parents out there, but there are people way smarter than me who are experts in this exact thing, who um, have created a ton of books that, that you know you can go to and see which one and which format is gonna resonate most with with your child, regardless of age. Switching gears, but still in the, the child conversation and the, and the adolescent conversation, in your book, you talked about like your own sexual trauma. And I remember the first time we saw you, you were speaking at this event. And the minute I just fell completely in love with you was when you were explaining overcoming sexual trauma, like from from a car accident and the steps that you take with that. Could you sort of like paint that analogy again and um just share with us because I'm sure there are people listening who have gone through that. Yeah. Um, so if with any trauma, a trauma is an event or a series of events, right? It's something happened to you. And so we can't think our way out of it. Unfortunately, we can't mm. talk our way out of healing through trauma. The only way we can do it is by introducing opposite action. For example, car accident. Say you got into a really bad car accident on the freeway. Understandably, the next time you were to sit behind the wheel of a car, your body would probably be like, oh, hell no, this isn't happening. And you might go into a trauma response. Um, so do you just avoid driving altogether, right? If you're a survivor of sexual trauma, do you just avoid intimacy altogether? Well, yeah, that's going to keep you safe, but you're not actually working through it. Mm. You're pushing the pile of laundry to the side instead of folding it up and putting it away. So with the car accident analogy, instead of just pushing through it and getting right back on the freeway, we don't want to do that. Maybe day one, you're sitting behind the wheel of the car. You're just sitting there. And day two, maybe you take a little spin around the block. And day three, maybe you drive on city streets for a couple miles. And then day four, you get on the freeway for one exit, right? And so on and so on. If we're talking about sexual trauma, every person's event or events that happen to them is going to be unique and their triggers are going to be unique. Um, I've worked with women who, if their stomach was touched, that would send them into a full-blown tra trauma response. And women who, if their legs were touched, right, based on the type of abuse they had suffered. Um, there's one client whose story I discuss at length in the book who started going into a trauma response when her new boyfriends would take her clothes off, like start undressing her. 
and when he would be in missionary position because historically she had been with somebody who was sexually abusive towards her, her the father of her child. And so years of spousal rape essentially and that's how that would happen. So she came to me because she was like, Rena, I'm dating this really great guy, but I just start shaking and crying whenever he starts to undress me or we've, you know, what do I do? So instead what we did is said, okay, have this conversation with him because he, he knew about her history and say, you know, for the time being, can I just be the one to take the clothes off myself and can we take missionary off the table? He's like, sure. So they were doing other positions, right? She was taking off her own clothes. And once her brain knew like, oh, this is this is my choice now, she then started requesting missionary yeah. eventually, right? So it's sending that opposite action. With the car accident, it's sending new data to your brain every time that says, I'm not going to I'm not going to die every time behind I get behind the wheel of a car. I'm not going to be seriously injured. But you sitting around and talking about the accident or watching YouTube videos isn't going to work through the trauma. Mm -hmm. You have to do the thing. Um, What I advise folks, so like, you know, if you are being triggered when your stomach is being touched or your legs, your baby a step isn't by having somebody else start touching those parts of your body. It's you giving yourself pleasurable touch and starting there and creating those new neural pathways. Um, I because trauma is so unique and there there's a way that you have to do this so that you're not re-triggering the events and you're restaging the event. I, I illustrate by way of example in the book, um, in the chapter, Give Your Trauma a Home. I talk about, you know, the general kind of what we just discussed. But then I give, OK, here are, you know, a handful of different clients, what their traumatic event was, what their trigger looked like. And how we introduce that opposite action to restage it. I also talk um, in another chapter about BDSM as a healing modality for trauma, which is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. But you'll see trauma through throughout the book, and um, and going back to to why I I wrote a book like this that is narrative driven. It's because it's helpful to to read by example. Because me just yes. saying like baby steps. Okay, Rena, what does that mean? It's like, here's a gamut to give you a feel for what I mean when I say baby steps. Right. Like I had a client who couldn't go to the beach because she'd been raped as a teenager on the beach three decades ago. She lives here in LA, but she wouldn't go to the beach. And so instead of, you know, just avoiding the beach for the rest of her life, she signed up for surf lessons and started going to the beach. So instead of going on a date to the beach or trying to have sex mm-hmm. on the beach, right? Mm-hmm. She she knew she could leave those lessons anytime she wanted. You know, she was in the director's chair. She was in control. So really it's doing the thing that was dangerous, right? But removing the X factor that made it dangerous in the first place. Yeah. And knowing that you can pull the ripcord at any time. Anytime. Yeah, just ha- having that power back just is so it does restage it It, that and it is it almost is like oh now this is exciting like now this is fun like I'm in control of like what I want to do and how long I want to be out here and maybe I get on the surfboard and it's stupid but I like that wasn't the point it's it's like a really nice distraction oh I love that um another reason why you should buy and read this book I want to watch you do this in real time 
So the next segment of our show is called the I do's and don'ts of relationships. I do, I do. I do, I do. I do, I do. Uh, so we have two voicemails that we would like you, what we would like to play for you. And I don't even want to say anything because I yeah, I just feel no, like no there's premise. nothing that I could add on top of what you have to say. Um, so here is our first call. Hey, y'all. I am looking for a little advice. Um, I started dating a guy um, in April 2020. So we were deep in the COVID um, pandemic. We weren't leaving the house or anything. We were just very much in each other's, like, we were each other's bubble. He got divorced in January of 2020. That's when everything was finalized, but he had been separated a couple of years. He comes with a little bit of baggage. Um, He was married for 12-plus years um, and has two kids. Um, He also, you know, did not date during that separation time. And I guess a little bit of my insecurity is that I am nothing like his ex um, or anyone that, you know, he, like when he talks about celebrity crushes, they don't look like me. Um, So I have thought about suggesting that maybe he, get on some dating apps, like see what's out there, maybe go on a date or two, since he is very much looking to move towards marriage, house together. Um, I know this is mostly my insecurity, but I would really just like some advice of how to cope with it. I'm in therapy, I'm doing all the things, but still a little insecure just because I'm not like, you know, what I thought that he was attracted to. Um, But he's a great guy. I love him, and he's really supportive. I just, you know, him being divorced before and, you know, all that stuff, it just kind of gives me cause for concern. Oh, I have so much to say. (laughs) I mean, because she brings up a lot of of different points. So let's start with the... um, I'm nothing like his ex-wife. That's probably a good thing, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> probably. Uh, you actually thing. write a little bit about that in here. Yeah. Yes. And I do believe that every relationship that we enter into post-breakup, we are looking for something that is polar. Not the person yeah. who's polar opposite, but, oh my gosh, my ex was a jerk to my friends. Like, I really want to make sure that I prioritize somebody who is really nice to my friends. That's yeah. a personal example out of my own life. But... um Instead of, you know, I'm so different than her, get curious about this. Ask him, well, what is it that that you like about me in this relationship? It seems like he's not afraid of commitment. Like, the dude was married for a really long time. He's a parent. He he moved in with you during the, the pandemic. So he there comes a point where you're trying to get certainty. If he goes out and dates enough, and and sleeps around with enough other women, then he'll be sure that he's choosing me. Right. When it's like, you know you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. But there there is no certainty when it comes yeah. to love and relationships. There just isn't. And so we you then get in this kind of vicious cycle where you're like, okay, well, how many women does he have to go on, on dates with? Damn. Right? 
Yeah, how, how, let's logically follow right. this, this thinking all the way okay. through. Yeah. Does he have to be with a thin woman and a fat woman and a big butt? And, you know, what? how far of this yeah. buffet does he have to eat for you to believe <laughs> that he's actually enjoying this meal? Yes. And he right? doesn't want to be at that golden exactly. corral. He, lives with, he wants you. He wants you. And by you saying, I know better than you, you're inherently saying, I don't trust you to know what you want. I don't trust you to make decisions that are, are actually right for you. I don't trust you to listen to your inner knowing and intuition. And that's not good either, right? What what came up for you both as you listen to this? I, I was actually thinking about the definition you provide, the difference between fantasy and... Um, what wish. Is, wish, right? Yeah. Fantasy and wish. I was thinking in terms of that. Oh, the celebrity crushes. Yes, right. we didn't even talk about, about that yet. Yeah. about the celebrity crushes, right? And that I wish is different than fantasy. So your fantasy could be with these celebrity crushes, but if the celebrity crushes walked in the room, are you going to wish to have that with them? Probably not. You might be like too nervous or, or whatever. And uh, you reference like um, a case where this woman could only, um, I guess, orgasm thinking about fucking a dog, right? And that that is a fantasy. Is that a wish? No, 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 it's it wasn't. It was just this thing that she needed. And so just because he's fantasizing about celebrity crushes doesn't mean that he wishes it, you know. And I I, th- I was thinking it in in terms of of the differentiation. That oh, my gosh. In, in yes. Book. Yeah, I read your book. I tried to. Clearly, <laughs> whenever, I was whenever like, whenever thank I you. Authors, I'm like, I'm going to prove to them I read their I'm book. such a good oh, student. We've I'm also been good. like around the house when something happens. It's like, well, Rena says I should prioritize uh, my needs. And, and right now I want to watch YouTube in bed. And then he'll be like, well, Rena told me if it wasn't a fuck yes, it's a no. Oh, and, and so now snap. we're like out the battle like, well, we told me this might be your default setting like it's just now we're just basically using I, I've created monsters what have I done I highly recommend just reading a, a book with your partner yeah and it's if, like well Rita told me you you're should, brick walling I was like you should read this should yeah this. you yeah, actually yeah, yeah you do oh, brick wall yes. we didn't even talk about that but you do brick wall I was I like do. oh I learned that I'm a brick waller yeah. you know what anyway but what came well, up for me with this is this stain on people divorced people that we have as a society where it's like I so I'll I'll be 33 soon so we're we're almost seeing at least like in my friend circles the the um the team I got married super young is getting a lot of divorces now and how like I I actually yesterday got invited got invited to a party for this woman who's getting a divorce and I'm like yeah this is the vibe that it Mm -hmm. should be and so it's like now this like like she would not even have all of these assumptions had he not been like divorced like capital D divorce like that is the boogeyman in the closet I'm dating a guy who's divorced and so how that going back to your book can feel shameful and how it's really like no maybe my friend just like finally is free from the clutches of this like monster of a guy right like we should be celebrating that sure or and a monster of a, a woman right who or who knows yeah right but oftentimes you know the the separation okay so we have the divorce and then we have the separation that happened before that but usually the the sense of fracture in the relationship happened much long before yeah. that mm-hmm. so from the time you know my ex-husband and I stopped living together to when I met my now partner who I was not I was not looking to meet anyone it was very quick but I was like I don't feel like I've been in a romantic and sexual relationship for yeah. years, years now mm-hmm. right so there's so many follow-up questions I would have for this person but 
getting curious, like going back to the celebrity thing, what is it about her that you find attractive? Right, yeah. like asking those questions. Curiosity is the antidote to, ju to judgment instead of saying, well, she's a brunette and I am blonde and therefore he's just lying when he says that he's attracted to me. Maybe it's, oh, um, I like that she plays these roles where she's kind of like the sweet girl next door, kind of like how you are, right? So it yeah. might actually be that it's not a physical thing. It's something else. It could be that, yeah, as a kid, I had a huge crush on, on this person and she seems like the, the younger version yeah. of that person, right? Get curious. Ask the questions instead of assuming. Yeah. Curiosity is such a such a muscle though like i'm reading a book uh chuck tingle who's known for writing erotic um like queer erotica what a name uh he's he's fantastic but he wrote this first mainstream book about a conversion camp that uh is like has demons in it. it's fucking dope um and but he writes about how curiosity and small doses in certain communities is fine but in actuality many many communities can't have you be curious because mm -hmm. if you're curious you end up leaving yeah. um, and I think like it's really difficult for people to be curious especially when we're not told to talk explicitly about sexual sexuality or attractiveness you know like that's what it what a simple thing to say yeah well, what do you what do you find sexy about me what do you find attractive about me what why 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 do you have those celebrity crushes and then you know like even just asking those basic questions are not instinctive because there's some sort of magical thing we put on like attraction yeah. like I, I don't know is yeah. that do you do you notice that or people put this magic in like attractiveness or I don't know I mean I think that we are holding our relationships up as the holy grail in terms of valuing ourselves and I think I quote Esther Perel in the book because she says you know in a, in a and I'm going to paraphrase here and, and botch this, but in a day and in a time where, you know, everyone can swipe left on you, where getting laid off is kind of the standard, you know, no one has a career for life anymore. Somebody choosing you takes on that much more importance now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And and so if we're talking about why why aren't we willing to have these hard conversations, I think for a lot of us, it's fear. Yeah, I don't want to know the answer to that because if I open this Pandora's box, then I may not, not end up in this relationship anymore and I'm not chosen and the, therefore my value as a human, right, has gone down. Instead mm -hmm. of actually your relationship is probably going to deepen by virtue of the fact that you can be vulnerable and talk about this stuff. That is a safe container, right? And But no one's teaching us how to do this, which is there's a whole chapter in my book called talk about it and i give you like download this app buy this card deck yeah, yeah. start here like oh, yeah, you don't have to deck, figure yeah. this out on your own right like yep. if you're like i want to learn spanish you would maybe download freaking duolingo like you take a class yep. you don't have to reinvent the wheel like there are so many mm -hmm. tools out there for you to use to start warming up to these conversations because I'm guessing your parents didn't teach you to how, how to go to a sex party. Right. <laughs> What's right, where? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't do that. They didn't cover that one. Uh, speaking of magic, I would like to play our second voicemail for you um, because it made me think about like if you could wave a magic wand in your book. So here is your second voicemail. Hey, Amber, uh, just call in to uh, 
I don't know, to ask my question, I guess. I just want to say I'm so proud of you guys, uh, Amber. I'm so proud of you. But anyway, this is my question. So right now I'm dealing with a woman who I have two kids by, and I feel like in a way patriarchal views have forced me to stay with this woman. You know, I was raised in a two-parent household with both my parents there for me whenever I needed, you know. And so now I'm in a place where, on the one hand, I know I'm not happy, but on the other hand, I feel like, how can I be a man and not be there for my kids? What do you, what's your opinion on this? What are your takes on, on this? Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking my call. So I know you specialize in helping women, but we've got yeah. a man who maybe wants to wave a magic wand and see his life differently. Yeah. And so the question becomes, what example do I want to set for my kids? And so what I'm hearing is, well, you know, I want to set the example that in order to be a healthy family, we require two parents to be there. And, you know, there are lots of families now where where the parents aren't together anymore. And so... I work with a lot of women where we go through what are the messages you got when you were growing up about love, about relationships. And so many of them are like, my parents stayed together way longer than they needed to. Like I never saw love or affection Mm -hmm. between them. The first education we get about love, relationships and sex happens in the home. It's, It's way before we go to school. And so I would advise this caller to do a thought exercise, which is what what do I envision a healthy relationship embodying, right? If my kid asked, hey, what is a healthy, loving relationship? Like, I'm curious, like, dad, tell me. How, how do I know if I've found one? I want you to go through the exercise and, and lay out how, how do you know that this is a healthy, functioning, loving relationship? And then say, all right, is the relationship, is this marriage or relationship I'm in right now with, with the mother of these children, is this embodying those values? Because whatever values this relationship is embodying is what your kids are learning. Mm -hmm. And it could be that, you know, men have to be martyrs and their happiness, right, doesn't matter. And you have to be the provider and and all these things in the same way that women feel like we have to be martyrs and we have to prioritize our kids, our kids needs and where our needs come last. So it's it's what what's going to be better being around two parents who are miserable but together or being around two parents who are raising you separately and co-parenting but are showing you that we all deserve to be happy and thrive and showing you it's okay to make decisions with the best of intentions and then later realize that, okay, I want to change my mind now. Yeah. What example do you want to pass down? But I would love to hear from both of you because you are parents and I'm, and I'm child-free. What is what? What do you think about this? I have a. You have a. a, I, have a I, I, I have it in here. Uh, you as, you as you find it, I'll, I'll say. Um, I found it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I well, I was just gonna say that I don't think you're abandoning your kids by divorcing. Like, there's, I I, I completely reject that idea. There's lots of fathers who don't abandon their kids when they when they divorce you you might have to plan things a little bit more you have to maybe work on your google calendar but yeah that's not abandoning and i think you use that term abandoning but yeah go ahead read 
Um, so this is from your chapter, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. Um, and you just talk about the magic wand earlier. You kind of ask your clients, like, if you had a magic wand and you could, like, paint the picture of your life, like, would you see this person in it and all of that? And you just you gave some very specific questions about your person here. I'm just going to read a couple of them. So I would ask this caller via Rena's words, are you excited to spend time with this person? Are they your cheerleader when it comes to big life goals? Do you feel physically and emotionally safe around them? Are they putting an equal effort into the relationship? Do they make you feel physically attractive? And then you you task us to dive deeper and you said like, what is the purpose of a relationship? What does a healthy relationship look like? What is romantic love? Um, and you talk about how like, if you're not there yet, is it realistic for you to get there? Which was my favorite part because it is so easy to be like, well, if this, per- I mean, obviously not you, you're my biggest cheerleader. I can come home and be like, we're moving to Japan tomorrow. And you're like, let's pack it up. <laughs> but for people who are like, my person's not my biggest cheerleader, but there is a world that I see them being that. Yes. So I really like that you said, like, is it realistic for them to get there? And so to this caller, I would say, like, is it realistic for you to get to a point with your partner where you can see y'all happy again? And if the answer to that is no, it's like, well, back to you saying, like, if you're not showing your children this, like, yeah. very loving environment because when you're not fooling the kids. Yeah, because yeah. days they, they, they know it. Oh, and, and a child definitely knows, like, you know, when their mother is in distress and feel like, I don't, now I'm sure he shows that too, but like I definitely as a child would pick up on a day that my mother had a hard day with my father as a very young child, not a hard day, but you know, a big argument. And I, and, and on days where we're not talking to each other, I, I can see her even at, you know, yeah. two years old being like, <laughs> what's mm-hmm. up with you two yeah. you're typically grabbing all yeah. over her like whoa and sometimes yeah. she will say even as a child like come on mommy come on mommy mm-hmm. and walk me to her father yeah so i think so seeing that tension like, to start like we would definitely have yeah. to yeah like I, I couldn't let her see that i'm not saying that this person is a bad person it's also like it's expensive to live what would two yeah. homes even look like right like i totally understand <sighs> there's fully a housing yeah. crisis right now but this made me, this really affirmed for me that I'm with the right person. I love that. I'm not going to cry, yeah. but I'm like, uh, he is my biggest cheerleader. Yeah, I, was I do that. feel I was so like, oh, safe yeah. with him. Check. Goes, I was Check. like, yeah. Like, I'll send her things I like to write and she'll read them and she'll be like, this, I laughed. Or like, yeah. Yes. Or like anytime I want to like go do like some sort of crazy adventure and like take her hiking or walking somewhere. She's like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, no, she'll but do, I'll do it. it she'll for do it. you. And, yeah. and, and, like, yeah. and you knew that change from your ex-husband to your new partner where you're like, oh, like I see what, like I'm, I'm sure this person is going to get out of this relationship and maybe years later or maybe be by themselves. But at some point you couple with someone else that is like the antithesis of your partner. You're like, oh, this is what it's supposed yeah. to feel. It's like kind of like the first time you orgasm with a party, you're like, yeah. oh, this is what the songs are <laughs> right. talking about. Like, what was that other crap I was doing with, right. like, Johnny from the bar? Like, this is what they were talking right. about. Right, and you only know what what you know, right? You don't right. know what you don't yeah. know. And I think, you know, another question I would pose to this person or anyone who's out there thinking, should I stay or should I go, right, who has kids in the picture, is what story do you want your kids to tell when they're asked as, when they're grown up? What was your childhood like? What was, you know, what was your relationship to your parents like? What was their relationship like? 
And what story do you think your children would tell based on what they're currently living with? And what would the story look like if done correctly? Not my dad took off and abandoned us, but yeah, my parents weren't happy, but they still, you know, got along. I would spend this much time with dad, this much time with mom. There are ways to not make this a sad story. And to your point, Ben, like just because you're getting divorced doesn't mean that you're you're abandoning and becoming, you know, a deadbeat dad. But think about the consequences for them and how they're going to look back on this time later. Chills. Yeah. The last segment of our show is called Shelfy. Uh, it's pretty clear that we are currently reading this. Well, we read The Sex You Want, um, and I will be rereading again when the audiobook comes out. This is available now for all of you. Is there anything else that you would like to say uh, about this book? We'll show the, the new cover art as well about like your pride and joy and um, just any last thing to convince these people to put their fucking credit card down and get your book. Yeah. Well, okay. So it's called The Sex You Want. So you think this is all about sex. The book's actually broken up into three sections. The first is about your mindset and your relationship to yourself. The second is about how you relate to other people. And we don't even get to sex really until part three. So instead of going out and buying the self-help book about personal empowerment and then how to date and have relationships better and then how to have better sex, start here. Like work smarter, not harder. That's yeah. kind of my thing if you can't tell. And so this is going to not solve and heal every single one of your problems, but it'll show you, okay, I want to pull at this string and learn a little bit more about this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, work smarter, not harder. Invest in one book instead of, you know, buying every book on the shelf and having that skyscraper on your nightstand that you're never going to get to because self Self-help is just shelf help. Yes. If you don't actually put in the reps. Yes. Isn't that big book of like women's anatomy that we oh, had? Oh yeah, we just we never, just like, we read a couple pages of it, but it was too daunting. Like this, I feel like this is so much more. It's like every like, part of the vagina, and, like, every, yeah, everything. And I'm like. It's too much. But I yeah. want my, I want who wrote this to share with me like a, a narrative. And yeah. then we can get to a little bit more education, which is why your book is like perfect for that. Uh, what uh, other projects are you working on right now? Or Yeah, anything you want to plug. Yeah. Um, really nothing else I want to plug right now because I'm 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 waking and eating and sleeping and dreaming this this book because we're kind of in in the moment. It's uh, I, there's an author I know who's like, I hate it when people say, like, my book is my baby. But I'm sorry, my book is my baby. <laughs> yes. And it's like, I've just had the baby. Yep. And yep. don't ask me what I'm thinking about. But they do Conceiving that with babies again. too. Like, you'll be like carrying your newborn. It's like, number two? Is it coming? I'm like, no. I'm still bleeding from number right. one. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so I honestly, um, right now, I'm I'm hoping to reach as many people as I can with the book at a you know affordable price point. And uh, I try not to write the future too much at this point. And I just want to see how everything unfolds. But if it. folks want to follow along and see what I'm up to, follow me on Instagram or sign up for my newsletter. Sweet. Absolutely. We're going to drop uh, Rena's handles right under. You can just like <laughs> right under uh, her image right there. Uh, reminder to all of you, we have our live podcast show in L.A. on February 21st at the Lodge Room. 
Rena is going to be tagged and buy her book. And if you do, please like let me know. Tag me in all of the things. Yeah. Um, and that wraps up our episode of Fly on the Wild and Podcast, right, baby? Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Bye. You know they're from TikTok, cause those laughs keep you coming, cause they're wildin' all the time. Before wild throws a tantrum, listen to our silly anthem, cause they're wildin' all the time. Don't swap while Amber squats, and does a dance to please her plants, and Ben reads books while serving looks, wild is wildin' all the time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.